what an appropriate time for us to talk about ministry. And the title of my message today is Ministry is Not for Wimps. <laughs> ministry is not for wimps. And I'm going to surprise you because I'm going to contend with you today that all of you are involved in some aspect of ministry, even if you don't realize it. All of you. And we're going to talk about that uh, today because it becomes a very important uh, subject. Now, this sermon focuses on the challenges we face uh, as we step out in ministry and all of your ministries, whether it's a generalized ministry or a specific ministry. There are numerous challenges that we face. And when we study the life of Paul, and that's what this is about, studying Paul, seeing the challenges that he faced as he ministered to the people of God, uh, delivering the gospel of Jesus, we see incredible challenges day after day after day. Who would think that the man who would write about two-thirds of the New Testament would suffer in the way that he suffered as he ministers to the people of God uh, and faces these incredible difficulties. There has to be a lesson in it for us, and I believe that there, there are. These are important lessons for us as we advance today the kingdom of God in so many ways. Now, here's the deal. Authentic ministry is not for the faint-hearted or the phony. Let me repeat that. Authentic ministry is not for the faint-hearted or the phony. There are no promises, you see, of a life of ease or fame or public approval. In fact, it's the very opposite uh, what you see in terms of authentic ministry. Uh, often, authentic ministry has a jagged edge, and, and people will repudiate you. Uh, and it will cause many people to lose heart and to walk away. Uh, and this would certainly be the kind of thing that Paul would have faced, and he never stopped. He never let any of these obstacles stop him, neither he nor Barnabas, as they traveled for God. And so now they would be joined with their young friend, John Mark, uh, who was the very cousin uh, of Barnabas, uh, and they would now leave Antioch, this very successful base of ministry, and they would travel out into the world to advance the gospel of Christ in a way that it would never have been done before. Uh, and so as they do this and launch their missionary work uh, and are uplifted and prayed for by the mother church, uh, we will focus really on the written record of Paul's ministry. And so the first sermon point I have for you in today's message is this. In this church, we are committed to the expository teaching of God's word. This is the basis of our church and the focus of this series on Paul. I believe that people have a deep hunger for the word and the teaching of God, and Paul based his entire missionary work on the work of of God, to proclaim the work of God. And here's the thing in this church. I'm not up here anointed by God to give you my opinions. I'm not up here to be your coach, okay? I'm not up here to help light the campfire as we bring the marshmallows out. <laughs> I'm up here to bring the un 
unmitigated word of God to you that you need to hear every day. And that's what Paul did. And so you understand that his message was full of grace in every way, but it was really supplanted also by a true grit that he had to stand tough in incredibly difficult times. And so the sermon point that I have for you with this is one thing needs to be perfectly clear. Once you've made a commitment to serve Christ, the enemy puts you directly in his aim. Satan despises everything we live for and work for. Do you got that? He's put a target on you. All right? He's put a target on you. He would like nothing better than seeing you step out for Jesus Christ than to knock you down. Because he knows that when he knocks you down, he can bring other people down. He'll stop the advance of the kingdom of God. And so you understand that. That's what it's about when we step out for Jesus Christ. Now, the missionaries, you see, in this passage, shipped from Seleucid, uh, in March 47, so here it is, really about uh, 14 or 13 years after Jesus would be crucified, stepping out in this missionary trip for the easy run to Cyprus. Now, they chose Cyprus because Barnabas came from Cyprus, so it seemed like an easy place to start, uh, and the island had a substantial Jewish minority. And so they, they aimed their mission at the synagogues. That's what they would do. And so the, the apostles proclaimed the word of God about Jesus in the synagogues of the Jews. It seemed like the right thing to do. But almost immediately, they would face a challenge of a sorcerer and a false prophet. You think Satan was sleeping? Not in any way. And so if you look at, uh, on the board, you're going to see Acts 13, verse 9. It says there, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And there you see the power of the Holy Spirit. You realize what it took for Paul to be there in the presence of this evil force and to make this pronouncement of judgment against him. You will be blind. You are evil in every way, and the Holy Spirit backs it up, and blindness befalls this sorcerer. What an amazing story. This is right out of the gate. I mean, they haven't just left Antioch. And this is the first thing that they see when you see God empowering them and, and indicating to them this isn't going to be a joyride, boys. This is not going to be a joyride. And so despite his weakened physical state, and he had been suffering, we know this from other writings, Paul faced the opposition squarely. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't try to be politically correct. 
You understand he was there with the governor, the proconsul, so he didn't try to say, well, we all have differences of opinion. You know, I just saw something I couldn't believe, that there are a number of evangelical pastors who are teaching that there are other ways to God besides Jesus. Where are we headed? Where is the truth of God going if you can't get it in church? Honest to the Lord, I ask God to intervene and so you see here, Paul stood for the truth. He didn't care whether he would be repudiated. He didn't care whether there were people that didn't want to hear it. He continued to stand for the truth. And that's one of the messages that I have for you today. Stand tall for the truth of God in everything that you do, wherever you go. And so the, the uh, scholars believe that in that very rugged section uh, of the mountains, Paul probably contracted malaria or some other dreaded disease uh, which effectively affected his eyesight. And for the rest of his life, he would have poor eyesight. Uh, and yet, we know that he prayed that God would correct it, and yet God said, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. And so no one could expect this to be the start of the work of God. And I give that to you. To those of you who are working and stepping out for ministry and, and serving Christ, and yet some difficulties have come into your life, well, let me tell you something. Open the Bible. Read it. It happened before. It happened before. Stand tall in every way as you understand this. And so Luke also tells us here that in this in hospital setting, uh, that John Mark abandoned the trip. How about that? The very guy who's supposed to be with you, who's committed to you, walks out, uh, and now they had to carry their own baggage. And they're going up mountains that are 3,500 feet high. What, does it sound like the kind of trip you would say, maybe we ought to go back. Maybe it's not working out right. But you see, they were so committed to working for God that nothing would stop them. They wouldn't be uh, delayed in any way. And so they were tired and hungry, lugging their own belongings up this 3,500-foot uh, pass, yet they refused to give in to exhaustion because they knew that they were working for God. This is the model for us today. This is the work God has given for you. Yes, I know you're going through difficult times. I know it's not easy. I know that you've suffered loss, but I want to assure you God is there with you. Uh, God sees your heart, and he wants to lift you up. Now, continuing on, looking at Acts chapter 14, verse 8, they came to Lystra, and here they came to confront a lame man. And the Bible says there, Lystra, in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that time, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, you can't write stories like this and make it up. This is the hand of God. You understand? The Holy Spirit inspired him. Stand up and walk. And he walked. And he walked. You see what happens when you walk with God uh, and, and filled with the Holy Spirit? God will lift you up. He'll, he'll allow you uh, to be prosperous as you handle the work of God. Now, here you go. The response from the crowd was immediate. 
How about that? They immediately called Paul and Barnabas gods. Gods. How about that? Gods. Gods. Look at these men. We've never seen the power of God in men. These are gods. And they began to worship them. And now I'm going to warn you about beware, be wary of the cult of personality. Never lift up any human being above the Lord. I don't care who it is. I don't care if you have a great pastor or he's a great preacher or you come across someone who's a great missionary. Never lift them up above the Lord. It's cult of personality. And I want you to see how Paul and Barnabas reacted. They would not give in to this temptation. And let me tell you something. That's a heady temptation. You know, you've just been beaten up and abused. And all of a sudden, oh, look at these guys. These guys are great. And you, who, who wouldn't say, yeah, keep it up. Keep it up. I need this. I need this. But you see, they knew. They understood. They understood the dangers uh, of the cult of personality. And you look at Acts 14, verse 14, you see, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd. You understand why they tore their clothes? Because they were debasing themselves before God. Lord, God, we don't want this. We know who you are. And they were shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. Uh, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the things of God, living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so even at this point, Paul is preaching to them, even in these short sentences. And the sermon point here is, beware of falling victim to praise. Uh, it is always about the Lord, not us. And let me say that that's important for you because as you do ministry, there will be people from time to time who are well-meaning but will say, you know what, you're great. You're gifted. I've never heard anybody preach like you. I've never heard the kind of things that come out of your mouth, the kind of life you live. You're special. And be aware because you know what happened right there with Paul? Take a look at what happened next. Uh, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the multitudes, they went and they put some multitudes together. They then stoned Paul. How's that? It's like within 24 hours. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. How do you like that? How's that? From the highs, you are a god, to the lows, let's kill him. And they stoned him and left him for dead, supposing him to be dead. The sermon point I have for you here is that one moment you're taking a bow and the next you're dodging tomatoes or even worse. You understand? Popularity in ministry is a perilous cliff. Paul got right up and walked back into the city. Can you imagine? He got right up from the stone pile and walked back into the city. What kind of guy is this? who would face death head on and say, I can't be stopped because I'm walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this reminds me of a great saying by a very experienced pastor who said the following, ministry would be great if it were not for the people. <laughs> you can use that. 
as you walk. Ministry would be great if it were not for the people. Not for the people. And I think Paul could write a whole book on that story. So can you imagine, can you imagine being so hated in ministry that people would stone you? Can you imagine? Now today they stone you emotionally, all right? They stone you psychologically. Uh, they don't pick up physical stones, but they, they have ways of doing it in very powerful ways. Uh, and the vast majority of us would have taken flight. I have to say, most likely, I would have as well. But they could not drive Paul away. And you see, this is authentic ministry. This is a ministry founded by the Holy Spirit that lifts you up and tells you this is what God wants from you. Uh, and it perseveres relentlessly through periods of enormous persecution. It is not fickle. It does not need adulation. It does not need the applause of people. Uh, it rejects being enshrined like a god. Uh, authentic ministry delivers the truth of God despite the threats. Now, here's the thing. As I said in the beginning of this sermon, every single one of you is involved in ministry, even if you don't understand or believe it. And here's the first ministry you're involved in. Sitting in your seat in this church. In your seat in this church is a ministry. Why do I say that? Because when you come week after week after week and sit in the church, you affirm those around you who look at you and see your commitment to the Lord. They see that. We see your commitment to the things of God. We see your commitment to the support of the church. And you're here day after day after day, and you stayed when we went to the hotel, and when we came back to the school, you stayed because you knew that this was an authentic ministry, and God called you to affirm each other. He called you to affirm me who looks out at you. What does it mean? It means that even when it rains, you come to church, okay? Even when it rains, even when you're not feeling well, you come to church. Whenever you're in town, you come to church. You come to church. Because this is your ministry. And let me say something to you. Some of us, and we know this, many of our so-called friends have abandoned us here. We had people here that were here from the beginning who left us. People who said to me, oh, John, I love you. You're called. You're a powerful minister. I'm so grateful that you're doing this. And where are they? They've left. They've left. Now, do you think that didn't hurt me? I can't begin to tell you the pain that I feel every time I see that happen. It hurts me deeply. That, my friends, is what we call suffering and persecution. And I know you feel it as well. And so I want to give you a verse that will go right to the heart of this. We put it on the board. It's 1 John 2, verse 19. Uh, and in this verse, it tells you what the Apostle John said about the early church when people walked out. Walked out. And I contend that when they walk out, they walk out on ministry. Here's what it says. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. You understand? Don't look at those that left. They didn't belong with us. 
They weren't called to be a part of this flock. And I had to learn that, you understand? Because I looked people that I thought were my friends. You know, frankly, I would have been more loyal if I knew you had a restaurant. I would go every week to your restaurant, even if I had to travel 25 miles. But frankly, I didn't see it here. I didn't see it here with many people who were fickle, who were fickle. Uh, and, and I had to learn not to rely on people, but to rely on God. You are the church. This is the core of the church. This is where we step forward. And I want to say that to you. Don't be discouraged. If they're not with us, they were never with us. Amen, church? Let's understand this. And so this is what God wants us to, to understand. Uh, you have a ministry. Your ministry is to be here in that seat. And so even if you think, well, I can't sing, I can't preach, I can't do so many other things, you can be in your seat. You can be in that seat. And that seat affirms me. When I look out, I'm affirmed. And it affirms your brothers and sisters who are there praying for you, lifting you up in every possible way. We need to understand this. This is the role of the church. And within the next couple of weeks, come the first week of December, we're going to be in our new permanent church building. Yes. And when we get into that building, there are going to be untold numbers of new people who are going to come in. And I want you to be prepared for that. That's what these messages are about, to be prepared to love and embrace the new people that we're going to see. And so Paul's ministry, you see, was so successful because it was saturated with the word of God. Uh, 15 times in chapters 13 and 14, 15 times uh, the word of God is mentioned specifically. If you want to be successful in ministry and in life, your life and ministry has to be saturated with the word of God. What does that mean? It means every single day, open the Bible and read it for at least 15 minutes. Read it. Study it. Let it pour into your life because that's what's going to guide you. That's what's going to empower you in every way. Uh, and we need to do this. All of this will help to establish you in authentic ministry, and that's what we want. Now, Paul's message also in this sermon point emphasized the gospel to the lost and grace to the saved. The gospel to the lost and grace to the saved. This is a critical lesson for us today as we go out to a world that's lost. Look at his actual words on this as you find it in Acts 13, verse 38. Look what he says. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. I don't care if you were a Jew. I don't care that you had the Ten Commandments. I don't care that you had the 350 uh, issues that Mo Moses put out as laws. I don't care about any of them. None of them could save you. Only the name of Jesus could save you. Now, can you imagine bringing this message to a lost world? Can you imagine bringing this message to the Jewish community uh, who had never heard anything like this? Uh, that the justification from sin is once and only through Jesus Christ. 
The law of Moses could never do this. We can only imagine the power of hearing that message, the power of hearing those words to people lost in sin. Now just imagine that, uh, that Jesus is their only hope. And that's what he is today. He's their only hope. There's only one way through Jesus Christ. Only one way. The world does not know that it can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and so Paul, uh, as he preached his message, also included large doses of grace. And those, that dose of grace applied also to the saved who didn't realize what grace is about. They were saved, but they had never really understood it. Uh, and many people who are saved even today don't fully understand grace. And so here's the sermon point for you here. And that is we need to forget imposing impossible legalistic standards on people that come to the Lord. Let me repeat that. And do me a favor, write it and stick it on your refrigerator. We need to forget imposing impossible legalistic standards on people that come to the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, grace has set you free. Has set you free. Uh, and and it's, it's amazing. You need to understand this. And I understand what this is about because I came out of a legalistic church uh, condition. Uh, and, and, and I recognized that my father and the people in that church that had been founded more than 100 years ago were well-meaning, but they believed in a very fundamentalist, legalistic standard. Uh, so much so that when I grew up, and my sister will confirm this, we really couldn't do anything. You understand? We couldn't go to dances. Uh, we couldn't have cards. Uh, effectively, what, what I finally deduced was a very simple bromide, and that is, is it fun? Well, then it's a sin. <laughs> now, I want to ask you something. What kind of a church do you think you're going to have embracing people and bring them to the kingdom of God if that's the standard that you think Jesus wants? Get that out of your head. Get that bunch of rules out of your head. Understand what grace means. It means you bring people to Jesus, and then you let the Holy Spirit speak to their heart. All right? You let the Holy Spirit speak to their heart in every way. Grace magnificently releases us from rules and regulations. Releases us from rules and regulations. It gives us freedom. Uh, and so let the Holy Spirit work in the lives of people as you introduce them, which is what Paul did. Uh, and, and the sermon point here is... Uh, uh, God is making us holy in the Spirit's work. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It makes us holy. You, you be faithful to dispense the gospel uh, to the lost and grace to the saved, then leave the results in the hand of the Lord. All right? You're not there to be the monitor. You understand? You're not there to give them a pamphlet of rules and regulations. You're there to give them, to give them Jesus Christ to bring salvation and grace and mercy into the Lord. And then let the Holy Spirit work on them. Let the Holy Spirit uh, convict them. Uh, and my dad had a very famous saying, which I'm going to repeat now, which was, talk less to your kids about God and more to God about your kids. 
Talk less to your kids about God and more to God about your kids. Do you realize how profound that is? How many of us have pounded and pounded and pounded, all right? And we don't see the results. Instead, we, we get people who just push back. They're sick and tired of hearing it. But instead, you've presented the gospel. Now let the Holy Spirit work. Let the Spirit of God work. Pray to God about your kids. And God will answer this. And so in, in Acts 13 and 14, when you get a chance at home, you'll be able to read it. Uh, you'll see a number of examples of Paul's mature response to a grueling marathon of tears. Acts 13 and 14, incredible. In Acts 13, we've talked about it already, we see the story of the false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He accompanied a Roman official named Sergius Paulus. Now think about this. Here's Paul advancing the kingdom of God. He sees a Roman governor. This is wonderful. I can have a chance here to impact the Roman government. Let me tread easy, right? Let me be politically correct. Don't let me be my normal self like a bull in a china shop. Let me tread easily. Let me be liked. Sound like something we might want to do? And so the Roman governor summons him into his presence, and he indicated that he wanted to hear about the gospel. And the false prophet did not share that message, and he tried to impede the presentation. And so this was no time for Paul to be passive. And here's the lesson for you. Learn when you shouldn't be passive. How many of us hear the word of God stuck under somebody's feet? Or hear people say things that are not true? Or give false theology? And what do you do? You just sit there like you're a mute. Instead, learn to speak up when you see evil being perpetuated. This is what God has called you to do. And so he didn't shirk. He didn't sit back. He didn't say, oh, I got to be politically correct. I'll never get another chance to speak to a Roman governor. And he, he steps up and he says, under the power of the Holy Spirit, you are a child of the devil. How's that? Is that strong enough for you? You're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Whoa, wow, what kind of man are you? Filled with the power of spirit. When I get to heaven, that's one of the first people I want to find. I want to see this short guy who's bald with a big nose who didn't care about how he looked physically because he was so empowered by the Holy Spirit that he was on fire. And I want you to be on fire when you face evil and deceit and see the word of God being put under your feet. So we have to learn to be courageous. Ask God to make you courageous as you walk with him. Uh, because you're going to face opposition. In every way, you're going to face opposition. So be wary and ask God to give you courage to step up. I pray that you will. I pray that you will. And now another test of faith came when John Mark abandoned the trip. All right? He abandoned the trip. Uh, and, and this was a, a, a blow that Paul did not countenance very well. Paul refused to let him come back. And not only that, that wound up splitting up Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance. But Paul said, no, no, I'm not going to let him come back. Uh, and years later, John Mark would, would minister to Paul in a, in a wonderful way, even when Paul was in jail. 
so God pressed that together and, and healed that. Um, and so what you see here, that God continued to empower them no matter what the difficulties were. When they returned to Antioch, and here's the thing, they get back to Antioch after this missionary trip. Did they call a press conference? Did they call a press conference? They say, everybody, come on out and listen to how great we are. Oh, wow. We had 5,000 souls saved. Look at what we did. No, you don't see that. They bowed before God and said everything that they did was because of what God did. No big-time press conferences. No lifting up themselves in any way. No marketing of a successful campaign. Uh, no self-serving interviews. No narcissism. It's about him. It's about him in every way. And that's what you have to learn if you want to be God's person. You want to be used by God. It's him. And so if he uses you, it's him in every way. It's him in every way. You know, it's, as I sat there in my house expecting it to be completely inundated with water, I was humbled with the fact that I saw God protected us, even as my heart broke for those people that suffered loss. But I saw the hand of God, even to the extent that the Federal Express man who came to the house said, you didn't have any damage. This can't be. Port, you know, uh, uh, all the communities around here are underwater. And you're not even in your backyard. No, no, somehow. And I believe that God just protected us because I think God saw that the house was effectively the church office. Honestly, I can't think of any other reason. And he protected the church, the older church building, even as we're preparing to put a new roof on that building because it needs a new roof. And we're within a week or two of putting it on. And yet God protected that roof. I mean, do you see the hand of God surrounding us in every way? And yes, we bow before God. And yes, our hearts break for those who have suffered loss. And yes, let us be sensitive to the needs of those who have suffered. Let us step up. That's ministry also, to step up for those in need and are recognizing it. And so here they are. They reported everything that God did through them. But God did it. God did it. And that's the message for you. The responsibility is for you to embrace God, to embrace Jesus Christ. But the credit belongs to him alone. The credit, the credit for this church, for this people, for the fact that God has kept us together is God's credit. God's credit, not a human being's credit, not charismatic appeal of a speaker, but the hand of God keeping you together. God gave you to each other. That's your ministry. Look to the left and look to the right. They are your ministry partners in everything. I want you to recognize this. This is what God has called you to do, to lift him up, to walk with him, to advance the kingdom of God in every way as we walk and change the world as we walk and introduce the lost people to what Jesus means and how people need to hear this message. Amen, church? Let's bow before his throne. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for the words that you have given us. Father, I thank you for the blessings that you've given us, for the protection that you've given us. And now, Father, you've given us a message about ministry, and you've spoken to us to indicate that every one of us in this church, even as we sit in our seats are called to minister. 
And that the very act of sitting in that seat is an act of ministry. That we are affirming and lifting up and praying for those around us. That we let each other know that we love them. And that the fact that we have stuck together proves that we are called to be together. Lord, put this message, seal it in our heart. Bless our people. Let them ruminate on this in this coming week. And continue to bless this service and everything we do. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.